Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. If it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. That understanding works for you, so therefore it is absolutely right for you. All beliefs have become only relatively true, and of course to the world, religion is just some personalized experience, not a divine revelation, and the church is catching the disease. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Well, it's not Todd. At least not yet. It is Wretched Radio, however. It's Witness Wednesday. I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio. And Todd and the team are out at Kennesaw State University today looking for or hunting for. That's probably the best way to describe it. They're hunting for students to talk to. And I think I'm hearing that they have hunted somebody down. So let's check in now, Todd. You're on. We were hoping to talk to somebody in a hammock today, and unfortunately for Austin, you're it, dude. Thanks for talking to us. You are from Georgia, right? Yes. Here's what we're talking to people your generation about today. Why so many people your age contemplate suicide? It seems that your generation at a higher level than any other historically actually thinks about taking their own life and actually does that act. Why do you think that is i think that has more to do with social media and the influence that that it takes um there's a lot of social pressure that people have and sometimes it's just too much all right so what do you specifically then what about social media causes that emotion um i just think there's so many trends out there and you have to you people feel like they have to uh take part in all these things just to feel like accepted or anything around um in the social society. So I think that plays a lot. Any other reasons? No. Do you know anybody personally who has contemplated taking their own life? Yes. Did they? No. Have you yourself ever contemplated it? No. Why not? Um, I think I just had a really good support chain and that changed a lot. Um, and I, I, it's, it was just, I had a really good family atmosphere and The friend group that I had was really good, and they were really supportive, so that that helped. Let me share with you a couple. I just wrote a booklet on this subject, so I'll share with you some of the reasons I think, and you tell me if you concur, right? I think one of the reasons is because we're living in a postmodern world. Are you familiar with the term postmodernism? No. It's the framework that most sociologists use, historians use, to describe the thinking of a particular era. So if you will, we'll call it zero. The the year is zero, the pre-modern era in Western civilization. Most people, they listen to religious authorities. So if God says it, then I don't need to think about it. That is the way the world operates. 1400s, the age of reason kicked in, where God was kind of set aside and humans thought, We've got the explanation for this, and we'll use the scientific method, we'll use logic, we'll use reason to figure out how the world operates and how we should live. And it was actually pretty successful for a number of centuries, but increasingly skepticism began to build, especially in the 20th century because of World Wars II and I, a lot of death, the bloodiest centuries ever, and humans got the sense Maybe we don't have a handle on how the world operates, which ushered in the postmodern era, mostly with French philosophers like Derrida and Foucault, who taught truth isn't knowable. God doesn't know it because maybe God doesn't even exist. Humans can't quite figure it out authoritatively. So 
truth is only known to an individual. So your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Your truth can be different than my truth, but we can both be right. That's the postmodern era. Here's why I think that's problematic. Your generation has been taught there's no absolute morality, no absolute truth. And yet I think everybody has a sense that there is right and wrong. And I think that causes a great deal of dissonance inside of people. So if your teachers tell you there's no objective truth, it's not knowable. So you had grades that were given to you. You were marked with wrong answers, even though you're told there's no right answer. There's morality. You're told there's no morality, but you know things like genocide and murder and rape are terrible things. And yet you're told, really, nobody can judge anybody else. And I think that just causes a great deal of confusion about the way the world operates. Your thoughts on that little diatribe? Um, so I feel like everything's subjective to the person, but it's it can all be different because, say, this government, the United States has a bunch of laws against certain things, but if there's no status or there isn't a status quo, then there shouldn't be um, like right and wrong. You know what I'm saying? So when you said truth is subjected to everybody, that's very classic postmodernism. Truth is subjective. But see, here's the deal. If I said to you right now, um, I think that you're swinging in a banana peel, you'd tell me that my observation is wrong, correct? Yes. But then I could say to you, no, 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 it's a banana peel because that's my subjective truth. But you'd go, well, you're not right. I'm not swinging in a banana peel here. It's a hammock. That's what I'm talking about, that you're told to think one way, but reality tells you something different. So for instance, uh, clubbing, let's say I went with this microphone and I just started clubbing students on the head. A postmodern can't tell me I'm doing anything wrong because there's no objective truth. But you would know that I'm doing something wrong because intuitively you realize you shouldn't be hitting people on the head with a microphone. That, I think, causes a lot of confusion for your generation. I'll let you respond. Yeah, and I think that goes back to like um, what your parents teach you and there you grow up in. Like, I live around um, the Rome area, a little south of Rome. That's so different of an environment than where I grew up around here. That's part of the reason like we moved and then I wanted to come back here because of the environment. It's so different for from person to person. And you hear on social media and, and from the news and stuff like that, that how people are raised and how it's so different. So you describe the environment from more rural to more urban. So what was it about that that attracted you to come to this? It's more of a diverse community and you can really be yourself around here. I guess more of the distance between like how, how far you live apart. It's more distant society. There's less people per um, area. All right, here's another one of my premises for this book. I think that because so often we're told that we can write our own rules, we live for ourselves, it's our truth, our values are what's important, it's our story. I think we make decisions that frequently bring a lot of guilt. We maybe grew up one way being told how to live, but then we can come to a pretty liberal area and make other decisions. And I think that that can bring a lot of guilt, sometimes a lot of shame, and a lot of people just don't know what to do with it. And that causes people to just feel heavy-hearted. Your response? Yeah, I think that goes back to um, a lot of people having 
not a lot of support or um, not a support system like I have a good friend group here and we really lean heavily on each other but we make music with each other and we have to know each other and um, work with each other to really get to the goal here's another reason I think you tell me what you think purpose and hope because we are evolved beings we're just luckier than say the materials that put together this hammock we really don't have a purpose that is transcendent we kind of define our own purpose in life and we get a sense that there's really not much purpose if we are just living for ourselves based on what we define as important and because of that we kind of lack purpose for getting out of bed in the morning and we're lacking joy so let me ask you austin what is your purpose in life <laughs> um uh I'm, I'm trying to so as an ed educator i'm trying to teach the younger generation or i will when i graduate and i'm just trying to make it a better place than when i started it so i'm thinking how am i going to make it better without making it subjective for the next generation would it be fair for me to say that my objective my purpose in life is the exact opposite of yours it's to actually make the next generation worse. Would you be willing to tell me that my purpose is wrong? Uh, matters how you're attacking it. Matters how you're going against me. Like in what capacity? Say you went to my principal and were like, this guy's doing a bad job. You should fire him. I would be like, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, let's say your purpose is to make the world a better place. We'll just summarize it that way. My purpose is to make the world a worser place. Would you have any means to tell me that's a bad purpose? I think I would, but I wouldn't push it because I think saying that, that type of viewpoint, you wouldn't get much supporters. But would you be able to somehow create an argument that told me, no, that's actually wrong. You're, you're just flat out wrong. You shouldn't make the world a worse place. Would you be able to construct that? I don't know, honestly. It depends on what the situation was and how you're doing it. Yeah, it's, it sounds like you, you do kind of slot into the postmodern worldview. Let me, let me just press on it for a second. Two plus two is four, correct? Yep. If I said, I think it's seven, would you be willing to tell me I'm wrong? There's too many variables. What, what variables are we talking about here? Um, I, could, I could make up arguments for how it's not... I mean, you can change the rules of math to your will, so. No, I can't. They're laws, and I can't change them. I can think they're different, but I'd just yeah. be wrong. But that's your, percep your perception. But perception can be wrong. Yes, yes, correct. So you would tell me I'm wrong. There you go. Congratulations. Now you're at least a modern or a pre-modern. Okay, hold it. Stop. Stop right where you're at. I hate to interrupt the conversation. Seems to be going so well at the moment, but we do have to break. However, we will get right back to Todd and Austin at Kennesaw State University next. It's a Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. Thank you for listening to Wretched Radio today. We are certainly grateful for your time. So here's a crazy scenario. Did you know that there is a way for you to know all of the latest happenings at Wretched? When you can't even keep up with all that's happening in your own life, you can keep up with everything happening at Wretched. See, told you it was a crazy scenario. But you can keep up with all of these things by signing up to receive the monthly Wretched newsletter. Each month, Wretched sends out a newsletter covering tough theological issues Christians are facing 
facing today, and you're also going to get the updates about what's new and upcoming at Wretched. Makes you kind of wish somebody would send you a newsletter about what's going on in your own life. Well, we can't do that, but we can certainly let you know what's happening in ours. Plus, we give away resources every single day to one of our newsletter recipients. So go get signed up for the Wretched newsletter now at wretched.org slash newsletter. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. There are brothers and sisters in Ukraine who could use your help right now. Max, the Tomorrow Club's leader in Ukraine, visited us on the telephone to share the need that many believers in eastern Ukraine currently have. Our focus was children evangelism. And right now, we have to walk away from that and really serve those families who had to escape. Our Tomorrow Club leaders in the West trying to meet the needs of those families. It's a good opportunity to show Christ to them in this time of trial. Pretty unlikely that you can visit Ukraine to help those brothers and sisters, but there are hands and feet on the ground, the Tomorrow Club leaders helping out brothers and sisters in need in Ukraine. To learn more about how you can help and support the Tomorrow Clubs, who we hope will quickly return to children evangelism, learn more at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched, tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. How would you like to be considered the second smartest person on the planet behind this guy? It was, a, it was, a, it was, it was. Okay, maybe that was a bad example. But what I'm trying to say is becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner is one of the wisest decisions you'll ever make. Gospel Partners Media is a 501c3 nonprofit, meaning all financial gifts are tax deductible. But other than that, why should you consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? Simple, because it's your gifts that help us create compelling gospel-centered content that reach millions of people all over the world. And we're members in good standing with the ECFA, the financial accountability folks who audit our books yearly to keep us transparent and accountable to our gospel partners. And 83% of every dollar you give goes directly to ministry. So would you prayerfully consider partnering with us at Gospel Partners Media? Just visit wretched.org slash donate to get complete details. We think it's one of the wisest investments you can make. Wretched.org slash donate. Books of the Bible Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. It is a thorough, systematic presentation of the gospel. The two major themes are sin and righteousness. Sinners are counted righteous by imputation of Christ's righteousness. If you wish to understand the gospel, the clearest, most thorough explanation is in the book of Romans. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Okay, we are back. I'm G.B. Hicks. It's a Witness Wednesday. It's Wretched Radio, and we are going to send it back out to Todd on campus at Kennesaw State University in just a moment. But to catch you up, let's recap just a second. Todd has been talking with Austin. Here's what we've learned so far about Austin. Austin likes to lounge in hammocks. I can relate to that. Austin also has a postmodern worldview. And when we left them, Todd had just poked a hole in that worldview. So let's get back to that chat with Todd and Austin and see where it goes. Todd? All right. Now, I want to try a bit of a, a thought experiment with you, Austin, All right, because you graduated early, so you're a smart guy. So you're going you're gonna to track with this. If there is not some objective standard behind math, math would never be certain. Would you agree with that? Yes. What is 
the standard behind math that is always constant and certain. Just the laws that we learn in school? Well, those are the things that we identify. I grant you that. But those laws are arbitrary unless there's authority. So, for instance, if you're driving down a country road, there's no speed signs at all. You can do 80 because there's no law to tell you it's wrong. And even if somebody yells at you to slow down, you can say, that's just your preference. But I'm going to do whatever speed I want to do. Now, if the government, which would be the governing authority, puts up 25 as the speed limit and you're doing 80, now you're breaking the law. Now you're wrong. But without the authority saying you can go this fast and no faster, you're never speeding. If there isn't something behind math that is constant, two plus two can equal seven. Are you tracking with me? So here's my question then. What do you think is the constant behind math? Um, I guess that's just the, the laws that were established before we came that have been universal throughout the world. All right. But any laws that we have today are established by someone or something, an authority. So who do you think established those laws? Our ancestors? I don't, are you asking for a particular person? Well, a person can identify the laws. But they are not laws unless an authority has deigned two plus two is always four. So my question would be, if that's true, and I think we realize it is, who's the authority behind laws of math? Uh, the leading figures in mathematics right now. They don't make the laws. They identify them. Build and get together with Larry and say, you know, these numbers, let's just say from now on, two plus two is always going to equal four. And Bob and Larry made the decision because human beings can't make math laws. And yet math laws exist. Bob and Larry can identify them, but they can't write them. But we know that these laws are written because every time we add two and two, it is always four. So this is a kind of a philosophical exercise Who's the authority behind the laws of math? Okay, I would say it would be the God-given laws of math. So God stands behind math. Yes. So then, Austin, who do you think that God is? The creator? The creator. Is there an, do you identify a God as a particular being or just kind of an unknowable being? Uh, as a being. And who do you think that God is? I feel like I already said this, the creator of us. So would it be the Judeo-Christian God, the Islamic God? What is your system that helps you to figure out who this God is? Oh, I'm, I'm, so I'm a Christian, so the Judaic God. So God, you believe in the Christian system. Okay, so how do you know that is the God behind math? Um, just from learning about the, the faith growing up, and then um, just like trying to make my own faith. So I'm going to guess, if I said to you, I am a, um, a Bluffnarbite, and I believe in the god Bluffnarb, and I believe I'm going to spend eternity with Bluffnarb, would you be willing as a Christian postmodern to tell me that I'm wrong? No, because that's against my faith. It, I, it's against your faith, or is it against your worldview? Uh, I would stick with my faith at that point. So then tell me, from your faith perspective, why wouldn't you tell me I'm wrong and you're right? Because it's in the Bible to say to not point out people that are wrong. 
Where does it say that? Okay, show me. I'd, I'd love to hear it. Tell me where it says that. I don't know exactly where it is. You're thinking Matthew 7. I know some stuff. Matthew 7 says, judge not, lest you be judged. How's that? Yes. But isn't that a judgment statement? Um, oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. Because God's giving you that, that laws that law to not judge others, and that's his judgment on you. Or that's his law for you. So does God judge religions? No. I'm, well, he will when you die. But wouldn't that be breaking what you believe is the rule of judge not, lest you be judged? No, because he created the law. So he can break it? <laughs> um, uh, and? Let me let me help you with this. All right. Let me just help you with this. Lost it. The context, Jesus was saying, he was talking about a specific type of judgment. He was talking about an arrogant judging, a condescending judging, like, oh, you're not the way that I think you should be. And you have arrogance. That's the type of judging he's after, because that statement itself is actually a statement of judgment. And he'd be contradicting himself if he meant there's never any judging. Furthermore, it's not practical. You made a judgment about sitting in this hammock today, about eating that apple. You make a lot of judgments. So all judging is not what he's after. He's talking about a particular kind of judging. Furthermore, he also said in John chapter seven, to judge with righteous judgment, to judge rightly with a right heart and a right attitude. So as a Christian, would you be willing to tell me a bluff Narbenstein that I'm wrong? No. Why not? Do you believe you're right? Um, yes, but that's not my position to say that you are wrong. Well, I'm, I'm wondering, though, why, as a Christian, when you believe that your religion is right, you wouldn't automatically conclude somebody who doesn't agree with you is wrong. Just like if somebody said two plus two is seven, you'd have to say the laws of math say you're wrong. The realm of religion has to operate underneath the same rules that the laws of logic, reason, math, and science operate on. A bluff Narbenstein believer is either right or wrong. And my preference, my belief system makes no difference whatsoever. Because, for instance, I could believe this hammock is a god. And I can believe it with all of my might and dedicate every day and every fiber of my being, but it's still just a hammock. So belief doesn't make something right or wrong. It is either correct or false. So if you believe your religion is correct, I'm wondering why you wouldn't be willing to tell me my religion is, by the laws of logic, wrong. Because my belief tells me to not tell you that you're wrong, because that's not my place. What about Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Wasn't he saying that any other way is wrong? Yes, but he can do that because he's Jesus. But then he tells you, though, to not do that. Yeah. What about when he tells us to go and make disciples of all nations? Why would he do that if nobody's wrong? Um, they are... But it, you're just trying to bring more people into your faith. Which, but why would you want to do that? If it doesn't matter, if truth is subjective, then who cares what people think? But that's the postmodern view instead of the, the view of the Christians. Yeah. I agree. I, I wonder, Austin, 
if you've considered the definition of tolerance. So if I said you've got a paper, you've got to take a quiz. Here's the word tolerance. Write what you believe the definition of tolerance is. Go. Um, being able to deal with other people's opposing view. What do you mean deal with? Not react to it. Okay. Could I, could I maybe say this? That tolerance by its very nature must have a difference of opinion. Otherwise, we agree, and I don't need to tolerate or put up with you because we're on the same page. So that tolerance by definition means you and I must disagree in order to still be friendly with one another. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. See, then you shouldn't as a Christian have any problem being willing to say, you know what, friend, I think you're wrong, but I don't hate you. That's actual tolerance. I agree with that. So then, Austin, I would ask you, based on that, unless you know specifically that your God doesn't want you to tell anybody they're wrong, why wouldn't you be willing to say that when Jesus said he's the only way? You wouldn't be able to because it says that in the Bible that you're not supposed to. All right, but you're not exactly sure where. I can find it. Do you want me to find it? Uh, could you want to noodle it in your brain? You got a Bible in your bag. Dude, rock on. I absolutely do. All right. He's got a Bible in his bag. Dude, you got a Bible in your bag? <laughs> you read it a lot? Yeah. Good for you. Okay, so this does seem like the best place to interrupt you right now, Todd. Also, it's kind of time to anyway. So while Austin works on finding his Bible and also the verse he's looking for that claims prevents him as a Christian from telling someone of the opposite faith that they're wrong, while he's doing that, we'll take this break right now and we will be back with more of the conversation between Todd and Austin. It's a Witness Wednesday and you're listening to Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio and I'm Jimmy Hicks. We begin in West Virginia, where over the weekend, lawmakers gave final approval to legislation that bans the targeted murder of unborn babies discovered to have disabilities like Down syndrome. While this, of course, is good news, there is one piece that I found absolutely disturbing, and that's that the bill passed 8117, meaning 17 people are somehow okay with the targeted murder of babies because they consider them broke. While it shouldn't shock anyone, the sheer evilness in this world still finds a way to surprise me occasionally. The Colorado House passed an extremely controversial bill this week. The bill legalizes baby murder for all nine months of pregnancy, and it declares that a fetus has absolutely no individual rights. In other words, an unborn baby has zero right to be born and live life. It's funny how all the experts that are making these laws and determinations have already been born themselves. But why stop there? I mean, chaos and immorality just breeds more chaos and immorality. So why put a limit at birth, extend it two, three, five years even? Now, though the times are drastically changing culturally every day, the actual physical on-the-clock time may not be changing at all ever again. The Senate passed the Sunshine Protection Act this week in an effort to make daylight savings time permanent across the country. The bill still must pass the House and then be signed into law by the president to actually happen, but positive note, this is something that our government is actually currently doing that I think most of us can agree with. 
A disgusting story out of San Antonio, Texas, where a fifth grade teacher got the bright idea of segregating her students by hair color, subjecting them to abuse and harassment, and showing graphic photos of murdered black children as a part of a sick and twisted anti-racism lesson. This is no longer education, but it's woke, racist indoctrination, and it has got to go. It's got to end. And speaking of horrible public school stories, teachers in Wisconsin are being trained to hide students' LGBT affiliation from their parents because, quote, parents are not entitled to know their kids' identities. Just let that statement soak in. It should trip your common sense meter. Because the only people entitled to know anything about children is their parents. The woke preaches so much about inclusion, but all it does is desire to exclude certain people, like parents, from things. The city of San Francisco has boycotted most of the U.S. Why? Well, it seems officials are pretty paranoid about anti-LGBT and voter suppression laws, and official travel and business with U.S. states has been banned. 28 states to be exact. Official travel is completely forbidden to those areas. So that means if you live in San Francisco, you are being banned from vacationing anywhere that has hurt your city's feelings. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. God has given the church many gifts for the building up of the body. One gift is mercy. Those who possess this gift are able to show compassion and comfort the afflicted, people who are sick, dying, or bereaved. God cares about the things that afflict us and has provided comfort in troubled times. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And we're back. It is Witness Wednesday, and this is Wretched Radio. Hey, I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio. Of course, Todd is out on campus at Kennesaw State University. He's been chatting with Austin. Austin's a young man who proclaims to be a Christian. However, he does have a lot of postmodern beliefs that seem to have taken root. And so let's get back to Todd as he continues chatting with Austin on campus at Kennesaw State University. Todd? All right, you got your Bible. Now, here's what I want you to do, though. I want you to find that verse, but I don't want you to read that verse without reading the sentences in front of it and the sentences after it, okay? So read a little bit before. This is something called context. What's kind of the flow of his argument here? So Matthew chapter 6, he's talking about not worrying. All right, so just think about this for a second, Austin. He's saying to worry is wrong, right? So you now know that worrying is a bad thing. It's a wrong thing because he gave you the standard and it's okay to discern if somebody is doing a right or wrong thing. So he's teaching you how to determine what is right and wrong. Now, here you go. All right. And it's saying, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, stop right there. So he tells us that we are to do some judging, correct? No, no, no. It says, do not judge. But the context is going to tell us what type of judging he's talking about. That we're going to judge anyway. Not what he said. What he's saying is don't judge because the way that you go about judging is actually going to be judged itself. So there's a good way to judge and there's a bad way. Keep going now in the verse. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in the brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You know what he's saying there? It's, it's kind of an, a, a Jewish, a Semitic humor. Okay, if I, if I came to you and I've got this microphone in my eye, and I went, dude, you got a speck in your eye. You'd go, uh, you got a bigger problem, pal. 
So now read what he says. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all of the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So take the, the speck out of your own before you take the brother's out. So in other words, before I judge you, I judge myself, I deal with my own issues, then I can judge you. So again, what he's doing is he's saying, he's defining the type of judgment he's prohibiting. He's not saying you can never judge anybody for being right or wrong. He's telling you, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be arrogant. Don't think that you're better than everybody. Then you can judge people. So I don't think that Jesus tells you that you can't tell somebody that they are wrong in their religion because he himself tells the Pharisees, this whole sermon is about telling people about wrong religion and telling them how to judge rightly. Austin, here's my question for you. You're a Christian. You read your Bible. You're right. It is going to get loud. If I came up to you in the hammock and I said, dude, you seem to have a lot of peace. You seem to be a decent fellow. I'd like to become a Christian just like you. What would you tell me I must do to become a Christian and why? I'd say start going to church or... I want to know from you. I don't want to go to church. I want to know from you. Tell me, why should I become a Christian? Because he's, he's what you're going to see in the end. So when, when you get done with this life, that's what you're going to have. You're going to have to deal with it either way. And, and what do I need to deal with? Um, you're you're going to have, you're going to be judged by him in the end. So, and if I said to you, okay, I think I'm a pretty good person. What would you say? You can do better. <laughs> okay. So now that was pretty judgmental. Right. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So you would say that I'm not a good person. I'm saying that God can make you a better person. Okay, so what if I'm not a better person? What's God going to do with me? I pay my taxes. I do not beat my wife and children. I'm a pretty decent citizen. I trim and edge my lawn. What's God going to do with a guy like me? He's going to do the same as any other person. So are you going to go to hell? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? I've seen you. You, you. you don't do as good as I do. Why wouldn't you go to hell too? Well, that's not my point to judge. I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to judge myself in that way. But in the end, it's not my decision. Let me roll reverse this, all right? So you're you're a music major, so I'm guessing you've got this this ability. Turn it around. You're not a Christian. I am. Ask me the same questions. Ready? So why should I be a Christian? Great question. In fact, it's probably the most important question you can ask. Let me ask you some questions by way of examination. Would you consider yourself to be a good person, Austin? Yes. Have you ever told a lie? Yes. How many? Many. So if I told many lies, what name, what label would you give to me? Liar. Ever stolen anything? No. Ever? I like small things, like from my family members. <laughs> Just from your family members, not important people. Yes, yes. Doesn't matter the size of the object, you stole something, so that would make you a? Stealer. If you're from Pittsburgh, otherwise it would make you a thief, right? Have you ever looked at any person with lust in your brain? I think if any human didn't, I'd see a problem. Agreed. All right. So you've looked with lust, correct? Yeah. Have you ever dishonored your parents in any way? Yes. Have you ever desired things that don't belong to you? Yes. So here's what I just did with you, Austin. I think I just ran you through about five commandments. And by your own confession, you told me you're a lying, thieving, adulterous, uh, naughty child, 
who desires things that don't belong to you. So here's the situation. I was probing at your conscience, Austin, to help you understand your, how God is going to judge you on the day of judgment. You see, we look around, we see courtrooms, we have a sense of justice, and we get that because God is just. And he's going to call your number one day, and he's going to call you before his bench, and he's going to know every thought, word, and deed. The books are going to be open. Austin, would he find you innocent or guilty on that day? I don't know. That's up to him. Well, you just confessed to me that you've broken all of his laws, so wouldn't you be guilty? But everyone sinners. Totally agree. That is our plot. You are correct. That's a Bible verse. For all have sinned and fall short of God's standard. So you're right. So you would be guilty just like the rest of us, correct? Yep. So if God is just, should he reward you and take you to heaven or punish you and send you to hell? It's his own decision. Correct. But I think we know the answer to that. Guilty criminals don't get gifts. They get jail. Again, that's not for me to decide. Agreed. I'm not asking you to judge me. I'm asking you to just judge yourself right now. If you're guilty before God and he knows every thought, word, and deed, every fantasy, every imagination, wouldn't that mean that he should give you what you've earned for yourself? And that is punishment. Um, that's up to him. But okay, so he's just, he's righteous, he's holy, he hates sin, and he's promised that everybody is earning a wage for themselves. And the wages of sin is death and damnation. So, Austin, it seems to me you have got a problem just like everybody else. You're going to have to face God on Judgment Day. And right now, you're condemned before God. So, Austin, here's my next question for you. Do you know what God did to save you from going to hell? Died on the cross. Died on the cross. Okay. So, what was that? Tell me what that was all about. He died on the cross for all of our sins so that we didn't have to bear it anymore. So there's some good news. You're a guilty criminal, but Jesus paid your fine. So you can be free to go because Jesus Christ satisfied justice. And now the Father can dismiss your case because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's good news, isn't it? Yes. So now, Austin, here's the question. How does one receive that forgiveness from God? We already received it when he died on the cross before we were even thought of. Here's what the Bible says that you must repent, turn from your sins, and put your faith in Jesus Christ only, exclusively, wholeheartedly, and totally, and forsake all other gods, all other systems, and believe in his work on your behalf so that you can be saved by grace alone so that he can get all the credit for saving a really bad guy like you. It's called faith in Christ. And that is it. You put your trust in Jesus Christ, and then his goodness gets applied to your account. But if you don't believe on Christ, then it doesn't. And the Bible actually says, until you do, you're not his child. But if you repent and put your trust in him, he will adopt you into his family and credit his goodness to your account. That's the good news of the Christian faith, Austin. Have you repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ? Yes. When did you do that? Um, I was confirmed in sixth grade, but I was baptized like years before that. So I guess you could say either. So you can tell me there was a time when you repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Yep. So when you die, you're going to go to heaven because of what? I repented. Because Jesus died for you a sinner. All right. Now, I want to petition you, Austin. It's pretty clear I'm a Christian, right? Jesus did not take on human flesh, leave heaven to live a really rough life in the first century in a pretty backwater part of the world. 
live a perfect life of righteousness, to be brutally beaten, hang on a cross, to die for sinners, rise from the dead, so people can believe whatever they want. He commands all men everywhere to repent and believe in him. So as a Christian, I would encourage you, don't be postmodern in this regard. Jesus isn't optional to humanity. He either is who he said he is or he isn't. So that means everybody on this campus that doesn't believe in Christ is outside of God's mercy and they're just plain wrong. He's shown you the truth and that shouldn't make you arrogant. You don't judge them with a snooty attitude, but you do judge that they're wrong so that you can help them see the right way. So I would encourage you to lose that postmodern strain that's probably been woven inside of you pretty deeply because Jesus isn't postmodern. He defines what is right and wrong. And so my challenge to you would, first of all, forsake the postmodern thinking and then just make sure that you don't think anybody else is an option because if you do, then you really haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ. Is that fair? Yes. Then I think we have agreement. Hey, you're a gentleman. Thanks for talking to me. I appreciate it. All right, we're going to have to take a break. We will come back. This is Wretched Radio. Let's visit a preborn life center in action. Look at that baby. Abortion pill reversal actually works. That's a beating heart. Look how strong it is. Tell me, that doesn't encourage you to consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched. $28 purchases a free ultrasound for a mommy who will choose life. It is indeed about saving babies' lives via $28 ultrasounds, but it is also sharing the gospel so that moms and dads get saved. Would you please consider supporting preborn centers with as many free ultrasounds as you can? $28 for an ultrasound, 80% of the time saves a life. Learn more at preborn.org slash wretched. You've heard us talking about it for well over a year now. Get ready, because we are finally less than a month away from the debut of Transform. It's our latest TV offering, which will be like nothing else seen on Christian TV. With Transform, you will be a fly on the wall as you witness real biblical counseling sessions tackling issues like anxiety, OCD, depression, phobias, and trauma. You're not going to see secular counseling sessions offering band-aids like medication or years of weekly visits, but you will see a biblical counselor providing biblical solutions that will help solve a person's issues with the Bible. Because biblical counseling is the only counseling that can provide real hope and help a person go from brokenness to wholeness. Hosted by Dr. Greg Gifford, Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University, and Dale Johnson, the Executive Director of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Transformed, unlike anything that's ever been produced. And it's coming April 1st. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared 
among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable, biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Books of the Bible Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. It is a thorough, systematic presentation of the Gospel. The two major themes are sin and righteousness. Sinners are counted righteous by imputation of Christ's righteousness. If you wish to understand the Gospel, the clearest, most thorough explanation is in the book of Romans. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And welcome back to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks, not Todd Friel. I guess I felt the need to qualify that for you and distinguish myself from Todd, you know, because I sound awfully similar and it's hard for you to distinguish. I know we get a lot of emails about it. <laughs> but seriously, Todd has been out on campus at Kennesaw State University today, moseying around and talking to students. So we're going to send it back out to him now, see how it's going. Todd? Reese, you want to be a medical professional, correct? Yes, sir. That is correct. Before we get into this, I want to ask you about that. How much biology work have you done so far at university? A lot, at least over my whole time here at Case. I'm a sophomore, um, so um, I've only been here two years, but I've already done at least two weeks total of nonstop work. So that's hours upon hours upon hours of studying. And you're studying, are you studying little stuff? Are you studying the body? What exactly? Um, so in entry level, uh, KSU biology classes, you're not really focusing anything on anything specific at first. Um, but as you move up, that's when you start taking like anatomy, physiology, you can take virology, immunology, all that good stuff. So all the, all the ologies. Yeah. All right. So from your perspective, a guy who studies like how things function, life, organisms, design how do you account for all that you see under a microscope studying the intricate nature of even the simplest looking life form what's your explanation i mean it's it's absolutely beautiful i mean i'll openly say this i've I've been a christian since i was six years old you know i believe jesus died for me and that he saved me from my sins um and i think that when God created the world. He put so much detail and so much time into every intricate thing that he made that it was, it, it's just a beautiful thing. Um, there's no way one human can understand all of it. I actually have my roommate. He was trying to tell me, I want to know everything about everything um, because he's also doing the same thing, but he's just like, he's a motivated guy. Um, but I was telling him, you're not going to be able to learn everything about everything because there is a lot of stuff to learn when it comes to biology, chemistry, just the way the universe works. <laughs> I, I've got to ask you, because I've talked to a fair amount of students, and I think you're the first one in a couple of days that has just outright said you're a Christian. Now, I've talked to some Christians, but they just said they're religious. You said you're a Christian. 
And you define that as Jesus died for you. I hate the whole aspect of viewing it as a religion. I view it as a relationship. That's all. That's my take on it. Because, yes, they're going to classify it as a religion as long as, you know, as well as Buddhism, Mormonism, all those other cults, practices and beliefs and other religions that people follow. But for me, um, when I think of Christianity, I feel like for me specifically, it's more of a relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. So that would be my. So if I approached you, Reese, and I said, I'm not a Christian, but I'm interested. How would you share your faith with a guy like me? Go. First, I would explain the difference between God and Jesus. They're separate, but equal. In John, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And many translations have been thought to think that the word meant Jesus. So in the beginning, you switch the word out with Jesus. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. And it's very, 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 very hard to wrap your brain around. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's a tough concept to learn. But in the Bible, if you were someone that didn't know Christ, and I, the thing I would say to you is, in the Bible, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died for you to save you from your sins and mean it, like, you can't just say that and, you know, go out and, do a bunch of bad stuff on the street or whatever, you'll be saved. And it's the thing I like about that is it's such a small thing for such a big prize. All you have to do is have faith that he did that for you and pursue a relationship with him and he'll save you. Save me from what? Eternal death. Why would I experience that? I believe in heaven and hell. And I believe that if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and believe that he died for you, I believe that you will go to hell. Why? You know, it's a hard question, too, because, you know, you say, well, if God is a good person, why doesn't he send everyone to heaven? Why, why would he put people in hell if he's, a, if he's a good God? The Bible also says he's also a just God. There's multiple instances um, where it explains how um, his people disobeyed him and he poured his wrath on them. Nowadays, something like that wouldn't happen because it's it was something like that hasn't happened in a really long time. So what if I said, Reese, I'm actually a pretty good guy. I don't beat my wife. I pay my taxes and I mow my lawn twice a week. I do not think God should send me to hell. You would say what? That take right there is kind of from what I heard what Mormonism is to a, to an extent. Um, they believe that good deeds get you into heaven. Good, good, um, good acts, you know, acts of kindness, stuff like that. Um, good people. When in reality, you could be the best person in the entire world and never hear or know of Jesus. And you could still 
you know, go to hell. Um, it doesn't matter because we're all going to mess up. We all sin. It says that we all fall short of the glory of God in the Bible. And, um, and that, that's just something you can't argue with or um, get out of. I mean, it, we're, we're all sinners. We all fall short. Um, but Jesus is like that saving race. So you, you're on this side of the cliff and God is on this side of the cliff, eternity, perfection. And Jesus is that bridge that gets you from one side to the other. So how do I get to that other side on Jesus? What do I need to do to not go to hell? When that question is asked, it's like, it's like you're saying what you just said, like, what do I need to do to not go to hell? But it's all about the motive behind it. Because if you're saying you just believe in Jesus, so I don't have to go to hell, then is that really a relationship with Jesus that you actually want? So you have to actually want it. And once you realize how good he is and how, how amazing his comfort is to you, it, it really rocks your world and you kind of realize, wow, I, I actually want this. I, I realize what this is. This is special. But to answer your question, firstly, how do I get from one side to the other? You simply just have to believe that he is the son of God, that he is God in the flesh, and that he died for you to save you from all your sins and that you were forgiven. Well, congratulations. You are one of the very few people out of the hundreds of students that I've talked to that can actually articulate what you just said. Did you know that? I did not. I, I appreciate that. Seriously. Thank you. No, no, no. Thank you. <laughs> because it demonstrates it can be known and it can be said unashamedly without apology. However, could I take issue though with your bridge illustration? Yeah. All right. It kind of limps in a couple of ways. All right. So if I'm here and God is here and then Jesus is the bridge, all right, that means that somehow I, I walk over Jesus, you know, kind of if we're going to go with the illustration and the Christian gospel is I'm over here and I'm just dead. I can't, I can't jump to the other side. I can't walk to the other side. I actually need Jesus to take me to the other side. And then there's another thing that that illustration, which I know is super popular, what it leaves out is, it leaves out that God is actually up here and you're in judgment. And Jesus takes the punishment on our behalf. So it actually explains the actual transaction a little better. So I know that people use that illustration, but it can be misunderstood that it somehow is our effort to get to the other side by walking on Jesus when he actually you're takes a, on him, you're walking with him. Yeah. Well, he actually takes a dead person and makes them alive. Right. Yeah. So just an illustration that might be better is okay. God's wrath is actually aimed at us. Yeah. And Jesus receives that wrath on our behalf so that we don't have to. I think it's just maybe a little bit more airtight than the bridge illustration. But having said that, dude, way to go. Thank you. I don't even want to talk to you about this. I'm just really encouraged. <laughs> thank you. All right, you. dude, I mean it. Thank you. All right. All right. You. you guys, somebody knew the gospel. <laughs> somebody did know the gospel. That for sure is encouraging because there honestly aren't many Christians on secular campuses like this one across the country who are able to articulate the gospel as well as Reese just did. So good on you, Reese. But unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this week's Witness Wednesday. Time sure does fly by, but we'll be back here on Wretched Radio soon, like tomorrow. But until then, until tomorrow, go serve your king.